I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, hello. I'm so happy that you're back. I don't know where you are right now. Emotionally? No, no, no. Physically, where are you? I don't know. Like, are you on a bus or in your car or at the gym or in your kitchen? It'd be weird if you did, though, a podcast which knew where you were and talked to you according to what you were doing at the time. Oh, I bet that's coming. Anyway, this is a nice time of year. My feeling is always that at any point from the 1st of June to the 1st of January, none of us have a moment where we should be in a bad mood ever. So between now and Christmas, you're, you're just going to be Little Miss Sunshine. Generally, I am Little Miss Sunshine. I have a base <laughs> level. I have a base level of Little Miss Sunshine. And then I, I am a moody motherfucker from the 2nd of Jan through to June. Um, what we've come up later, and we'll, we'll talk more about it in a bit, is a wonderful guest. This is interesting. He has been involved in so much and he's quite brilliant. Screenwriter Ed Solomon. What's Ed Solomon done? Sarah, did you go to high school with him? Incorrect. Jeff, read us the res. He was mentored by Gary Shandling, one of the greats. From there, bit of TV writing, then he goes on to co-create Bill and Ted, as in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Insane. And then he becomes one of the most in-demand Hollywood guys. He writes <sighs> Men in Black. He's brought into punch-up scripts, left, right and centre. And more recently, he's formed a creative partnership with Steven Soderbergh. Who? Well, the, the, the director of Sex, Lies and Videotape. And no, the no, Oceans no. The films. director of the original Magic Mike film, <laughs> which wasn't my favourite Magic Mike film. But also the most recent one as well, I think. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, maybe we'll get Soderbergh on after this. Who knows? <laughs> and it can just be Sarah Barron and Steven Soderbergh talking Magic Mike. Oh, my God. From my mouth to God's ears. And they have a new show, which is an HBO show. So you'll get it on, uh, I guess, Sky and Now TV in the UK. It's called Full Circle. And Ed's coming on to talk about that. And we, we have so much to talk about with him later. And I'm really excited to have him on as a guest. But first, our quick watches. Okay, I did it. People convinced me. I watched The Bear. And this is in advance of season two. There's a lot of excitement uh, around that being released. It's already out in the States and it's imminent here in the UK. And the, the Bear, if you haven't seen it, it's about there is a chef. He's like a sexy, moody chef and he's worked in all these high-end restaurants. His brother was running a Chicago sandwich shop, kills himself and leaves the sandwich shop to the brother who is working in all these high-end restaurants. So now this super fancy chef is bringing the professionalism, the precision to the sandwich shop. What will happen? You're going to do the big reveal about um, art imitating life. That is my brother's backstory. So my brother did work in a shit ton of high-end restaurants and then he did a sandwich truck. So he, he was in all these Michelin-starred restaurants. So he's a highly qualified, passionate chef. All right, you're genuinely sounding like my mother right now. <laughs> do you know your brother has added desserts to his menu. He is combining coffee and chocolate in this shake that he's doing. I'm I'm sorry. My brother combined coffee and chocolate together. Wow, it's, it's Heston Blumenthal-esque. Listen, this is gr- you guys groundbreaking. <laughs> groundbreaking chocolate and coffee. Now, to my brother's credit, he probably would be quite embarrassed for me to be even putting it out there that he put a shitty shake out there. But I just thought it was worth mentioning that your brother was a high-end chef who now sells sandwiches in Chicago. And interestingly, the 
creative team behind the bear. They did find my brother and see if he wanted to be a consultant on it. And he thought, I don't want to be doing this bullshit. This sounds dumb. And now he's like, oh, fuck, this show's a thing. And I could have been the guy. Oh, it's a better story to say you turned it down. I know, I know. I sort of think that as well. Anyway, we watched a bit of season one as discussed last week. You couldn't get into it. Because it was too masculine and there was too many dead animals. Mm. But because people are going on and on about season two, I was like, I'm, I'm going to get across it. So here's what I'll say. I sat down to watch one and it was like I came out of my haze and I'd watched four. It is eminently watchable. It feels fucking sexy and expensive. You've got this thing that I, I don't relate to at all about finding it sexy to watch people work in a very intense way. Oh, my God. Mm. Would you like watching a chain gang? If there were some hot chain gang workers. What do you call a worker on a chain gang? Usually a prisoner. Oh, shit. That's not great for me. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think chain gangs are a thing anymore. Well, I wouldn't want to watch like um, an actual prisoner in a prison. Like a prisoner exercising would not do anything for me. But there's like a military-esque quality to certain jobs that aren't actually the military that I am into. And I think that is true in kitchens. So it's a great world. There's a sexy quality, I think, mostly for... Um, straight women. Uh, I can't speak for anybody else. Here's my problem, though. This show is in love with itself. Mm. I can feel the sense around it of like, uh, no big deal, but we're making some really good TV. Uh, no big deal, but like cooking is actually like super sexy and amazing. These guys take their world really fucking serious and we're making some good TV about it and no big deal, but I bet you're fucking impressed. It's just this air of self-delightedness it's weird when flying you can, it, around. It's weird that you can smell that stuff off a show. It's so strange. And it is what I think it is. It is completely devoid of a sense of humor. Right. Now, I'm sure someone could come back at me and go, Sarah, that's not fair. This was a comic beat. This was a comic beat. Eh. <laughs> Broadly, I'm here to tell you, there is not a <laughs> lick of comedy. So that is what it's lacking from me. But the larger point to be made is, I am excited for season two and I will watch every episode. My first one, and I was alerted to this by an email from Zoe, who says, bear with me, but you definitely need to add Bluey to your watch list, especially as 10 new episodes have literally just dropped on Disney+. Plus. Now we're already a Bluey family. This is a kid's cartoon. You're, you're not some weird perv, because one of your favourite things right now is like kids programming. No, there have been articles about Bluey and serious publications. Stuart Heritage is always banging on about it in The Guardian, uh, Vulture, The New York Times. So no, not at all. And what it is, it's about a family. It's about an Australian family who happen to be dogs. <laughs> But, but that's not but that that's not really the point it it is warm and lovely but not at all cloying I, I tend not to do well with wholesome and it's genuinely funny would you invite uh, a child free person into the world of bluey to be like if one night you just want to try it or will they feel too strange in themselves i think so i think it'd be too weird to watch okay. it's not like if you're child free and you go to see the next what, what pixar, are the, pixar film, film. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, like no, that i don't i don't think it is like that i did watch one of the oh, new episodes on my own that's sweet, this morning honey, that's well, it felt weird you know you can feel guilty if you and your partner are watching something and then you think, oh, I really want to watch the next, next episode, but they're not around. Yeah. That is 10 times worse. The, the betrayal of watching one of the new Bluey episodes without our son. Oh. But I, I saw all this fuss online about one particular episode. Oh. It's, it's called Onesies. And people are losing their minds about it because you watch it with a kid, they're going to see a fun, rambunctious seven minutes of television. <gasps> but it's about infertility. They have an aunt who finds it difficult to spend time around them because it's too triggering to her. It's like when I cried when I found out that my sister-in-law was pregnant with my first nephew because your sperm wasn't getting me pregnant, was it? <laughs> so I really had something to cry about. Oh my God, how amazing. And on the subject of adults watching it, I, I unearthed the other week a very strange seemingly world of fandom where people make YouTube videos. And I'm not talking about kids or young people. Uh -huh. I'm talking about adults with deep analysis of Bluey. So I watched, I think, a 20-minute video oh where it was God. a woman trying to discern whether one of the minor characters is uh, in a, an economically uh, different income bracket by analysing clues from the episodes. And it included like graphs about the property prices in different neighbourhoods of Brisbane. And I found it strange, but I also thought that's basically how we were about Succession. We were reading everything and thinking about the characters. 
Mm, yes, but I like, as I was always say about succession, the sort of the fan created culture would never interest me that much. No, but we did create a podcast where we'd be speculating about what Kendall's assistant did in her spare time. Okay, I take your point. I'm being a little, a little shit. And, and the question I have to ask is that if a TV show has a deep fandom around it, is there inherently something good? It just it it proves that there's some meat on the bones. That there's of something, something something going on there. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a fair point. Okay, I was on the train the other day and I watched this Louis Capaldi documentary that's on Netflix called How I'm Feeling Now. Yeah, it's been out a couple of months at this point. I have a very general awareness of and very warm feeling towards Louis Capaldi, but like I couldn't tell you the name of one of his songs, and then because of his performance at Glastonbury. Think of the last bit as brie like the cheese. Very stressful. Um, His performance there went viral and I was very moved by the way it went viral. So in case people don't know what we're talking about, he is some, I think this is the correct terminology, um, someone with Tourette's syndrome. Yes, but that was a very recent diagnosis for him. And during his performance on the main stage, his uh, tick started up. I don't think you can, can you use ticking as a verb? I'm not sure. And and the crowd kind of took over. It was this it lovely really moment. Moving. It was really it affecting was really moment. moving. Yeah. And, and I, I have this sort of habit of, I'm, I'm not a big music person. You have your little workout mix on your phone. I have a little workout mix on my phone. <laughs> what, but, was, what was the last song you added to your workout mix? There's a new song by Pink Trustfall and Pink is like around my age and the way she moves is so wonderful and so I I like listen to it and I imagine that I've been put in the music video for it Is it you and Pink on a trapeze? No it's not trapezing because I'm not interested in that But she tumbles she tumbled. I think that <laughs> as she ages, I think she might be doing less tumbling, but she's doing this very cool walk with people. I'm like, I could achieve that walk. Wow, that really suggests aging that she's gone from tumbling to walking. It's because you're not picturing the, the style of the walk. It feels like they're in Los Angeles and they're so cool. That's kind of my style. And to quote Amber from the John Waters film Hairspray, Mother, Shake Your Tail Feather has got a good beat and you can dance to it. And that is what I'm always looking for in music. And if yes, I'm in. And if not, I'm like... Do we need the poetry of it all? (laughs) But with Louis Capaldi, I'm like, if there's a doc to get me in, I'm going to get in. So I watched it and it is good because he's so interesting and his relationship with his family isn't creepy. And I actually, I find it very rare. People are doing documentaries because they want to show you their normal family life. Mostly though, my takeaway is like, oh, your weird family life. And then what is just so fucking satisfying about it is what I took from the documentary is that he had this major hit and the pressure to do another one was causing him a borderline mental breakdown. And so what what happens is, is all these music executives get like these music writers in and they're like kind of useless. And I, and I think that people have writers who come in and these people being given credit for the work they do is very important. Also, sometimes what I have taken from this is they are there to do nothing other than throw a bunch of shit at the wall to become background noise to allow the artist to have a good idea. But isn't there a value in that? Yes. Yes, there is. But nobody thinks that's what they're doing is your point. What it didn't do. Here's what it didn't do. It didn't show the amazing value in all the songwriters whose names you're not familiar with. Right. It made them look like a bunch of Los Angeles cunts. Imagine if one of them hears it and they're going to be looking at a oh shelf God, no, full no, no, of no, Grammys no. Listen, and think they're then, worthless. Then, These then, are worthless. Then you're so amazing and you're so amazing. Please like me. If that's you, you little Grammy nominee you, you clearly know I'm not talking about you. Okay, so even even though I said we don't want to be the podcast that's focused on what's the thing dropping this week, I also don't want to miss something that people are talking about. So what we hopefully are going to do is tell you whether something's worth your time or not. With that in mind, I had a look at the reboot of Quantum Leap. You did? Yes. I think it's been out for a while in the States, but it, it's it's just been released in the UK this week. It's on Paramount+. Plus which I almost never go to. I think the only thing we've watched on there is um, Girls 5 Ever. Gonna be famous forever, cause forever's too short. Which, which we, we both love. Oh my God. If you Look, if you have not watched Girls 5 Ever, 
It looks so cheap that you'll be put off, but it is one of the fucking funniest things of all time. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say one of the funniest things of all time, but I'd say when it hits, it's as good as the funniest things of all Listen time. Listen to this song lyric. Were you dream girlfriend? Because our dads are dead. <laughs> it is so funny. But I think Paramount have cancelled it and, and Netflix have picked it up for the next series. Good, good. Which gives me even, even, even less reason to go to Paramount. I think Yellowstone might be on there. Yeah, but you didn't love Yellowstone. I felt like I could have got into I've heard it. It's, it. I've heard it's one of the greats, but... It, it... It's not, excuse me, it's not one of the greats. Let's calm the fuck down. Okay. Now, how big a fan were you of the original Quantum Leap? Like, I was a big fan, but I remember nothing about it other than Scott Bakula stars. I can't remember the name of the guy who was the other guy. Dean Stockwell was the other guy. Dean Stockwell. So I'm not enough of a fan that I remembered that name. Because I'm just that little bit older than you. Mm, six years. <laughs> six years and two weeks. It, it coincided with me not watching as much television. So I don't remember it that well, but I, I would dip into it from time to time. And in my memory, there was something... Bit quirky about it. It had a bit of a sense of humor to it. Okay, I mean, I wouldn't know. And having watched the first episode of the reboot, that seems to be out of the window. Also, everyone is just too good looking. I hate that. I hate that too. I don't know who it is out there that needs people to look like models. Yes, but um, when you moved here, I think you you, you were quite frequently taken aback. <laughs> By the people who are allowed on TV here in the UK compared to the States. There are some freak show faces allowed on. (laughs) Um, But Scott Bakula, he doesn't look like Brad Pitt, but this is an attractive person. Dean Stockwell isn't a model, but that is a face full of character. These are television faces. They're just not model faces, but they're not normal people faces either. Mm. So I don't want to look at a fucking uggo, but I don't need a model face either. I'm an adult person. But one thing I wanted to say, having watched Quantum Leap. Okay. There's a writer's strike on in Hollywood at the moment. Yeah, do you think the producers wrote it? <laughs> Is that how bad it seems? AI <laughs> hey, wrote it. No, here's what I think. I think the, the studios should capitulate to whatever those writers want, yes. but with one stipulation. Oh. Writers should be banned from having time travellers figure out where they are by looking at the marquee of a cinema. Because that happens. Uh, what's that? The cinema's showing St. Elmo's firing Goonies. Something's not right here. Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. That is so dumb. That'd be a good thing to ask people for, actually. Tropes that we've seen enough of, and they need to be paused for at least 50 years. Yeah, okay, fine. So we'll add that to the uh, list of things that we want from you. Yeah, shit you want a moratorium on, essentially. Yeah. Email address? Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. Some other things we'd like you to email us about. Are you like Sarah in that you will watch something just because you like people to do a certain type of job? Not quite that simple, but go on. I really like to watch people, when they cut back trees and then put them into those machines that turn them into sawdust. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't feel sexy to you. No, and I don't know that I'd watch it on TV. I wouldn't f- find that sexy either. But, you know, I like a cook. I like a comedian. I like a surgeon. <laughs> you know, just be good at what you do, baby. Also, inspired by Bluey. Are there any kids' shows that it's possible to watch as an adult without a child being around, without feeling creepy? Because kids' films feels like, sure, but kids' TV feels weird. Feels like you've had a breakdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's the questions we asked last week, which we'll get to later. Those were, what was the moment when TV ruined part of your brain? You saw something, you were never quite the same again afterwards. What put the poison in? I'm very into this topically. Yes. I want this to go on for a long time. Yeah. And, And also, do you have red lines which will stop you from watching a TV show? A certain actor, certain subject matter, certain setting. A certain look, that's what it is for me. Yeah, the email address? Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. And coming up later, one of Hollywood's finest, most respected screenwriters. And what a head of hair. (laughs) Yes. Just Google image him. What a head of hair. Ed Solomon talking about his new show that he's created with director Steven Soderbergh, Full Circle. On to uh, the, the main course in terms of what we've watched this week. Mm-hmm. It's our main. And it is Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland. It's a BBC documentary. It's on BBC iPlayer. I think it's also available on PBS in the States. And it looks like it's on Amazon Prime some places too. This is a documentary series that Charlie Brooker, creator of Black Mirror, recommended on last week's episode. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, Jesse Armstrong had, had been saying... <laughs> 
Who is he? Had said that he was watching it and, and suggested it was something we talked about on the podcast. And my initial reaction is, oh, do I have to put myself through it, though? Because don't get me wrong, I, I want to be better informed about the world we live in and the, the societies that we live in, and it's an important chapter of modern history. But sometimes after a long day, I'll switch the TV on and I think, we're going to watch a documentary. Will it be about the troubles in Northern Ireland? Or will it be about that crazy theme park where the rides were very dangerous and kids were getting injured all the time? How am I going to wind down after a stressful day? I know. Let's do a doc about the troubles. And I think especially as a British person, and I think actually this is reflected in the documentary, you you can often find yourself thinking, oh, the troubles in Northern Ireland. And I, I do sort of have a basic opinion on it but it's just too thorny which i think is quite reflective of the uk's attitude certainly for a long time towards northern ireland in general but we resolved to watch it for this week's episode and and it is brilliant and if you are thinking like we did yeah i'm sure it is but i won't be pressing play on that i strongly exhort you to because as soon as we get to the end of an episode, we want to watch another. It's it's that good. I thought I'm probably going to need a few days as a palate cleanser be, between putting myself through that. But the, the the storytelling and the humanity of it, I think, is incredible. It is eat your greens in as much as you'll probably cry. And not because you're watching a shitty Hollywood film that's put some music on that's made you cry. Like, you're probably going to cry. And I can get into a thing where I'm like, I'm not sure I need to be feeling this sad. But then I also love learning. Well, no, no, the the learning thing is interesting because I think what is brilliant about this series is is the way that the director has chosen to tell the story. It's through first-person accounts. It's just people telling their stories of their bits from their lives. So you haven't got experts or pundits talking you through a bit of history before you then see interviews with people. It's just people sitting and talking and reflecting on their own lives. But when I say learning, I don't mean that as a negative thing. Yeah, we're not (laughs) anti-learning. Yeah, we're pro-learning over here. In other words, you said to me, should we try this or do you think you're going to fall asleep? Which is insulting, but also fair. And then within five minutes of having it on, it was very clear to both of us that there was no way I was going to fall asleep. It's riveting filmmaking. So you will get into it. Like, I came home last night from work, whatever it was, like 11.15, and you were like, should we put one on? And I'm like, um, I don't know if I want the documentary about the troubles at 11.30 at night. You know, I don't think there's quite as much light and shade as you're making it sound like there is. It is shade. No, 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 I disagree because there can be some light in the way that people talking, even about terrible things, there can be a lightness to it. Because Okay, fine. That's true what he just said. Because people people are funny talking sometimes about the most terrible bits yes, of their life. Yes, and there is some of that in there. You're not going to get the same feeling from this one as the Wham! documentary last week. That one you can put on at 11.30 at night. Do you know what I don't think I can ever get enough of? Go on. People in later life watching footage... Oh. Of their younger selves. No. See, this is the problem with this thing, by which I, you know, I mean, the good thing is that that alone can make me sob. I just think there's always something moving about somebody see the younger selves and then watching the face and trying to discern oh. what emotion is being triggered. Oh, it's too, it's so painful. It's so painful. What I wanted to say about Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland is it's fascinating telling of this chapter in modern history, which I think a lot of people, self-included, are shamefully ignorant about. But it's it's also about pain and what we do with pain and the damage of holding on to it, despite it being part of who you are and and justified. It really made you think about, like, on a very individual level, it made you think about pain, forgiveness, And not in a bullshit way. And it made you think about accountability. It's really intense, for lack of a better word, to watch people reckon with things they wish they hadn't done. You watch these people who are, how old are some of those older ones? Like 70s? They look about our parents' age. Really being able to process something because they've had that much time to sit with it. 
it is painful and moving and inspiring. So do you think it will change you? Do you think you will become a somebody who, who holds fewer grudges? I'm really trying. What's your longest standing grudge? Oh, probably Genevieve Nissenboim, and I'll say her fucking name. What did she do? When I was 11 years old. Right. It was something that like I'd kicked a ball and it had hurt her body. So you were the aggressor. I was the aggressor. So I went over and I said, oh, Genevieve, I didn't realize I'd hurt you. I'm really, really sorry. And that was that. And then the next day, she's like, no, get away. You're dangerous. You're dangerous. And she's like, I just want you to know my mom's putting in a request to the school. I'm not allowed to be around you anymore. You're dangerous. And I remember being like, I'm going to cry. She's going to make me fucking cry. Just get yourself into the bathroom stall because Genevieve like smells blood and goes for it. And I've never forgotten her. My mother lost her mind. Now, Genevieve's mom owned a salon. So my mother boycotted the salon. (laughs) So anyway, that all happened. I suppose there's another version of that story. And I've done some shitty things I'm not proud of. But I don't think I ever made someone cry in junior high. Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland is directed by James Bluemill. I don't know if he's looking for another story to tell, but I think you've just laid out the bones of it there very well. One rich girl is a little mean to another rich girl. (laughs) It's the big plot twist that she deserved it all along. And there's another story that's out there. What if I was the bully and I don't know it? This is what the documentary is about. It's not going to be a one-sided hatchet job on, what's her name again? Genevieve Nissenboy. You are going to have to acknowledge your part in it. Oh, uh, shit. Take your pain. (gasps) It is real. It is authentic to you. But you're going to have to examine how how you move past it. What if I was a bully and I, I somehow didn't know? It sounds compelling. Oh, I feel sick. Okay, coming up, our guest, Ed Solomon. We're going to be with Ed Solomon. Do you know what that is? Well, I'm guessing it's about Ed Sullivan, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's from. Um, Bye Bye Birdie. Ah. It is such a funny... It, it's such a great film. And Anne-Margaret in 1963. <gasps> Divine. Ed Sullivan was such a weird presence. He was very rectangular. He was very um like one of the Herman monsters. Munster. It's like Herman yes, Munster. Yes, he's like one of the monsters. But Herman, exactly. Anyway, so so uh, Ed Sullivan, Ed Sullivan won't be joining us. Although maybe we could do a séance on the podcast one week. You know that I'm into ghosts now. <laughs> anyway, Ed Solomon, not Sullivan. And uh, we we took through his dazzling CV earlier and his new show is called Full Circle. And we legit thought it was good. Yeah. And wait until you hear from him. What a dear. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have 
and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We met a while ago. I have this thing where I never want to ask somebody what they do for a living because I don't want to seem like that defines them. So I, I had no idea what you did for a job until I subsequently Googled you, which is what we, we all do. I think I was Googling Ed while I was looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> I think I went straight but I, in. But I just thought, who is this serene man? But Sarah thinks it's not a thing or maybe a British thing. You think it's not rude to ask somebody what they do I for a living? Think, like if we were sort of talking, I might be like, oh, what, what do you... What do you do? Or I'm always afraid. I'm always afraid to, to ask, ask questions just because I don't know how someone will feel. So my serenity is really fear serving <laughs> as a guardrail, I think. Jeff thinks Jeff thinks that two British people, it's like it's like being like, hi, um, and so how much money do you make? Right. Which I, I just feel like it's an interesting, even if someone hates it in themselves. And it makes conversation easier, but I, I'm so worried about seeming like I'm shallow. I personally, and I want to just get right to the shit. And Lucy's always saying to me, not the culture. Not the yeah, culture. But, mm, yeah. but you, don't, you don't mean job. You mean like your big talk, not small I, talk. Yeah. like hundred percent. Yeah. I just no. don't want to do any surface skating. I'd rather just sit here in silence with each other and not talk rather than do that thing. But that is true serenity because I can't do. I would like immediately am like, how do you argue with your partner? <laughs> <laughs> but like no interest in where you're going on holiday. I really don't give a shit. But, <laughs> but the silence. But the is... silence, that is serenity. And then when you are in that situation where it's small talk and, and somebody says, oh, so what do you do for a living? You say, I'm a writer. And they say anything I've heard of. <laughs> how, how, the next question. how do you say? Uh, have you heard a little thing called Bill and Ted? I mean, how do you say something like that without oh, sounding like a dick? Have you heard of Men in Black? Oh yeah, that was me. I feel like no matter what I say or don't say, I sound like a dick. Right, no matter right. what. Yeah. So I don't know what to say. So I sometimes will say, "Do you want the most recent thing, or the most well known, or the one I'm proudest of, or the one I'm?" most ashamed of what what are you most ashamed of well there were quite a few no, now movies in terms that of I your have... films in terms of like the worst thing you've ever done personally no i'm just joking because i, didn't even I was about to go there and yeah, then i was like he'll do it jeff no, would no, go I can't take not the culture yeah <laughs> not the culture not yeah. the culture film wise professionally what are you most embarrassed by um i'm embarrassed about having my name on movies where i wasn't the final writer but people assume i was because my name's on it and there's one that's dogged me like a herpes sore. And it's, it shows up about as often as one would, which is Super Mario Brothers, which oh. I was like seventh of nine writers on it. I've hardly anything in the movie. But my God, just, even my kids will wear Super Mario Brothers shirts and just smile at me and they walk by. Is that about wanting to disown what the film is or is it about not wanting to take credit for other people's work? It's sort of disowned. There's another movie that was a hit that I have credit on which is Charlie's Angels, which is a perfectly enjoyable film. But but there were so many writers after me that I, I had almost nothing in it. But on the on the movies where I just have a credit, I'd, I'd rather not name just because... Sure, sure. But they're the ones in a, kind of the middle part of my career, mostly. But weirdly, that must be like a part of your career where you're, you're hot property. I made some bad choices. So the, the first part of my career, writing on spec, writing things I was really excited about, never knowing any rules and hitting and missing. Middle part after Men in Black was making choices for the same reason I, I only took classes in college on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which was like, seemed like the easiest thing to get made. They were more career oriented and they were mistakes. And then the last part of my life, writing life has been mostly spec again, more like the first. It's been way more rewarding and full circle was a Spec script, Bill and Ted Face the Music was a spec. And when you're that's talking, it, that's interesting to me. So I assumed that there was there's been a, a clamor from a studio to get more Bill and Ted. Like these these reunion things seem seem to be so popular. They were clamoring to get as far away from it as possible. It Why? Was, I don't know. I think we thought this seems like a no brainer. We really did think that. And around 2007, I think, we had a meeting with Alex and Keanu, and and we're like. What about maybe doing a third one? Oh, he was on the talk show here, the Graham Norton show. And somebody asked him about doing another Bill and Ted movie. And he actually said something like, I wouldn't be averse to that or something. And I texted Alex Winter and I was like, did he mean that? And Alex had Chris and me and Keanu over for barbecue. And um, we were like, 
do we want to even think about this? At this barbecue? Yeah, at Alex's really, house. Yeah, it's supposed to be a fun barbecue. <laughs> Why are we talking shop? <laughs> we're t- yeah, exactly. Why are we talking about the thing we're meeting about? Um, and then we were so convinced that, wow, oh, this is a no-brainer. So we wrote the script, gave it to Keanu and Alex, got notes from them, rewrote it, rewrote it. We we're also proud. We have a big meeting at MGM. They're all excited. But everyone is always excited in a meeting. Always. That's, that's always the, the hard yeah. thing to discern where, where the genuine excitement is. Yeah, I know. And then there's... Didn't care for it. Uh, this yeah. is because there was there was some picture I saw. This is going back a few years of the two of them. It looked uh, not an on set photo, a social photo that that somebody posted on social media, and the world lost its mind just seeing the two of them. They, that's the one I'm most proud of when they asked Bill and Ted. Not because I think the movie really works, because I don't think it completely works. But in hindsight, I feel like there was a sweetness to it, and there are people for whom it really means something. It's a small but deep group, and I just, I just want to like have them over and you know yeah. So I assumed there would be more people, but then years years went by, nobody was interested, and then finally I think it was maybe John Wick or this something. Right. There was a combination of things which I guess the number crunchers thought, oh, maybe it's valuable enough. Well, I just love the idea that like Alex Winters is just texting Keanu and he's coming over for a barbecue. It's they have a Thanksgiving together. Thing. They're like best friends. Oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. They met on the movie too. They Great met in the casting. audition. Great casting. Chris and I were like as arrogant people in their mid-20s would be like, we're never going to find people to do Bill and Ted. Because you used to improv them. We did them in improv, yeah. And we were, <laughs> we were going to the first rehearsal in Arizona and we were standing in line at a McDonald's and there were these guys just fucking around in front of us. And Chris and I were like, Good, those guys should be the guys that play Bill and Ted. Like if, those, if they had any brains, they would have cast those guys. Anyway, obviously later when we got to rehearsal, it was actually Alex and Keanu because we hadn't met them. Oh, that sounds, oh that, that sounds made up. I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. Um, so we've done our Googlings, obviously, Ed. We know that the, the origin was that you were a stand-up comedian. Very mediocre stand-up comedian. I didn't get beyond like club middle act, never like headlining a club. You, you know. never got to headline. Not in a club. I've headlined a few times. Uh, I think you might have. <laughs> but yeah. if I could uh, trade that with having written Men in Black, I might take the offer. <laughs> but it ends up being really fortuitous for you because Gary Shandling sees you. That's right. Basically said, okay, yeah, you've got two jokes that are good. The rest you can get rid of. Would you be interested in writing? If you want to write, you know, you probably could it, if you worked at it. And the Gary, um, it's Gary Shandling's show. I used to watch one as a kid and I've been too scared to look at it again. And I watched a bit on YouTube earlier and it, and it stands up great. And you worked on that. I Yeah, I had first three years. Of wow. That. The, that was a really fun show. And I met some of the really funniest people in that I'd ever met in my life. And not in a bad way. Did I go, I'm not them. I will never be. But them. that's so, so weird that you feel like that, having written <laughs> s- some incredibly successful films that have such a strong flavor of comedy in them look i grew up worshiping at the altar of comedy but i realized that really required something that i didn't have i'm just laughing because it's like i feel like he's talking like it didn't work there's out a guy who, live acro- yeah, who lives yeah, across yeah. the road <laughs> who like really wanted to work in television and but TV, i just never had it and i'm like I don't think he understands his resume. I, I genuinely think he's confused. I think he's confused. I that. <laughs> but it's so endearing about you. But no, it's really, really fascinating how you talk about it. I know what you mean. And I, I, I recognize there's a... I, I think part of it, too, is I don't want to acknowledge... Oh, this is a weird thing. <laughs> Not the culture, Ed, but here sure, we go. No, no, go I don't go. want to acknowledge the successful parts of my career because... I'm afraid it'll stop. But I I understand that it might seem disingenuous or something. No, no, no. It doesn't. The reason Mm. it's interesting is because it doesn't seem disingenuous. Because we've all heard that. We know what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, so it's like you. Who, me? (laughs) Oh, God. One of the successful screenwriters of Hollywood. Mm. But it's interesting, you know, like you strike me as someone who has been very validated professionally in every possible way. I feel I could segue us onto full circle quite nicely right now, if I may say. Yeah. So this show, which is which is now out, this new collab that you've done with Steven Soderbergh, we, we wanted to talk to you. We wanted to talk to you before we had watched it. We sat down. I said to Jeff, 
wait, what if it is bad? And Which, Jeff by the way, I, I thought as well. Sure, like, what if they of course. <laughs> and it was truly so good that last night when I like normally like do a, a comfort watch, like, oh, I'll put on an old 30 Rock or a RuPaul's Drag Race. I was like, oh, no, no, I need to see what happens in the next episode of The Ed Show. So it was quite conceited of you to call it The Ed Show. Yeah, I do appreciate that. That somehow official they title. Didn't, they didn't go for that. When full I tried circle. <laughs> but you know, I'm thinking about where you started in your 20s and where you're at now with this show, and it's so good. But you you need to keep like retirement is not coming for you. You have no interest. I would like <sighs> to be able to keep getting the opportunity to work with people at Stevens level because they make your work way better. And and honestly, it was Steven believing in me back on this thing called Mosaic that we did together. We talked about it. We had a meeting about it. I remember I had to sign an NDA to have breakfast. So are you people, can't tell us what you had for breakfast. Are people actually, <laughs> are yeah. people actually eating? Because there's the barbecue. You're always going to it. There's a barbecue. There's always food at these meetings. Are people eating or are you just like, it's a thing, but then Hollywood people sit down and just talk. What's the vibe? I remember eating a little bit. I'm not allowed to say this. I'm an omelet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, please like, just keep it. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. It further. We talked about it. He said, you want to do it? And I was like, this is my chance to up my game. You have the breakfast. You sign the NDA. Mm -hmm. You go from that moment to sitting with Steven Soderbergh. How much does that feel like a date? It does feel like a date. You know, you meet around five for coffee and then maybe uh, it's still six. Let's have dinner. You know, so if, if the meeting feels like a date, does a creative partnership which works, does it does it feel romantic? <laughs> is, is your head swimming a little bit? Well, you, there's a sort of, yeah, I would say there's a swooning. Yes. There's an infatuation, a creative yeah, yeah, infatuation yeah, yeah. or a sense like you're going to go down the street <laughs> <laughs> singing. <laughs> and this is where we all break out into song. <laughs> yeah. And in advance of speaking to you, I then did all my Steven Soderbergh Googlings. That guy's really got something. It's really interesting. Probably in terms of directors I work with, and I've worked with a, a lot, the most in control and the least controlling, if that makes sense. Would you explain yeah. what, what sort of the relationship is between Mosaic and Full Circle? And then with the with the germ of... Because Full Circle, it's a difficult it's show to, to talk, talk about, about because without... Part of the joy of it is you're watching, you don't know what's happening. And it, it, mm. even, even the inciting incident, we don't want to say what it is because part of the enjoyment is being surprised by that in the first episode. During Toward the end of Mosaic, I originally wanted to do another branching narrative show. So what that means is... Not choose your own adventure, but the plot is the same. The same things happen, but depending on who you choose to follow, your story could be entirely different. That's and presumably, like you have empathy for the different characters exactly. depending on who you follow. Exactly. Yeah. So originally started to design Full Circle as that, so that you'd have this lower Manhattan family that is ostensibly the victim of a crime, a sort of shocking crime. But if you're doing it from the perpetrators of the crime's point of view, that family is actually your antagonist. Oh, and originally I was going to direct Full Circle, but about halfway through, Stephen was like, I think this is too complicated for you to direct. And I was like, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and so we got to find a director. And then about a year later, this is so funny, this is so Stephen. I was like, hey, we need to figure out who's going to direct this. And he said, oh, oh, I am. And I was like, oh. Okay. And did we look at other options? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Should we audition people? Do you sure? I think I might have said, "Could you have a reel? I can see." <laughs> I think I actually did say that. Um, so that point, the plan was: what if we do two versions of the same show? And one day he thought this was going to be a really difficult lunch. This is like when somebody that you've been hoping would break up with you, <laughs> but you don't want to be the guy who right. breaks up. Uh, he's like, oh, we got to talk about, I don't think I can do two versions of Full Circle and make it work. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> really like, oh. but that's how it was originally designed. So the WGA strike is, is on at the moment. You're an active voice in that. Is there anywhere in you, like part of you that secretly thinks, oh, this fucking strike couldn't they just waited a few months until full circle was out there because presumably like normally you'd be throwing yourself into to to the business of getting wind in its sails well look nobody wishes the strike had happened and i admire 
the hell out of the writers and now the actors who are going, you know what, this is not fair and I'm willing to put my livelihood on the line. And you're not putting your livelihood on the line for yourself. You're doing it for the next generation of people. Anyway, uh, I don't wish like, that the strike happened just later because in a way, what I thought was it's going to really feel bad, like I was left out by not being involved in the press. It kind of felt great. <laughs> to my surprise, it was like we all think everyone's reading <laughs> this stuff that about us, but nobody cares. Nobody is. I never do because it's too triggering for me. But what I wish was that the company that I worked by the way, the executives that I worked with at Max, they were actually great. They are not the problem in this strike. What I wish had happened instead was that Full Circle wasn't being released on what is now <laughs> currently the most hated name right, in right, show business, right, you know, right, right, right. for the time being, just because of the way it's, uh, you know, overlords are um, running it. And it's unfortunate because they like took HBO and just like stripped it for parts and fucked up CNN and like took everything that there's no understanding of the need to nurture. It's just being destroyed. The The sense of writers who need to learn from more mature writers so then they can become the next generation. There's no sense of like wanting to keep writers' rooms alive. It's like, a real yeah. quarter-to-quarter mentality. Yeah, it, right? And, and, and yeah. you know, actually, quarters add up to 10 years, and you're fucking yourself in, in 10 years. Yeah. Well, five years even. Uh, can we ask you some quick questions before we let you go? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, do you ever skip an intro? depends on if I know the person who's involved in the show <laughs> because I like to see their name. So sweet. But I don't ever skip the previously on, even if I'm binging it. Mm-hmm. I'm Interesting. That, yeah. yeah, I'm that as well. What's the single greatest TV show ever? Well, there are a lot of ones that come to mind. I'm not going to go the ones most important to me. I was The first one that came to mind, weirdly, I'll just say it was Columbo, and I don't know why, but my favorite show on the air is What We Do in the Shadows. What are you watching at the moment? We're together watching Barry, and I'm on season three. I have not been watching a lot of TV. I want to watch The Bear, which I've not seen, which everyone tells me is incredibly good. How would you feel if you and your partner were in the throes of watching a show together, and for whatever reason, they watched an episode without you? Is that a betrayal? Uh, one has to ask permission. Like with my daughter, let's watch Sopranos together. Okay. Got like two in, three in, four in. And then I'm like, are you ready for five? And she's like, I'm on season three, episode six. And like, can't do that with your kids. We, my partner and I, Lucy, we'll check with each other. Is it okay if I go on and watch The Bear or should we do that one together? You know, so. But is is it a question that can ever be answered? No, that's not okay. <laughs> she laughs at me and says, it's TV. There's so much more. We can always watch something else. <laughs> She's much more mature in that way than me. Yeah. Ed Solomon. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. So interesting. You might not have known him before. You undoubtedly knew his work. And now you know him to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. I just, I cannot get enough <laughs> of thinking about the life of someone who says, I'm a writer. Oh, and I said, oh, um, Men in Black. Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, just, and do you know what? We, we talked for ages and it was a really great conversation. And I wonder if that's something we can do on our Patreon, you know, when we get that up and running. Extended cut, bitch. Of the interviews. You're going to extend that fucking shit? Yeah, we, we can dangle it as a carrot. Okay, here's your little carrot. As being a rabbit eating the tip of a carrot. Do you think people would be disturbed if they knew how much time I spend watching rabbit videos on no, Instagram? No, no, no. It's uh, there's so many things about your like personal life that are disturbing. But I think <laughs> I don't think there's anything sad or deranged about your enjoyment of animals eating. Email time. This comes from Holly, who says I can't recommend Bad Sisters on Apple TV enough. Written by Sharon Horgan, which is always a big treat. We really enjoyed that. I think. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? This conversation. Go on. Because we we really, really, really liked it. And we had a complaint about it. Like, we had an ongoing complaint about it. But also, like, we're so desperate to get Sharon Horgan on our podcast. <laughs> and I just think it's it's good to put your cards on the table in that way. I can't remember what our ongoing complaint was. Our ongoing complaint, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched Bad Sisters, 
So maybe fast forward 30 seconds is that with the continued misfires of the attempts at killing the guy. Oh, it felt a bit formulaic. You knew they were working their way through the sisters. You got into this thing where you thought it felt a little like, okay, that was number four. Next week is number five. But every week I was excited when a new episode arrived. Because it was very singular. The casting was amazing. It looked amazing. It was funny. It was super dark. She can plot a show, though. I'll tell you that much. Well, it's interesting to say that because I think she can. But Bad Sisters is adapted from a Belgian TV show. I thought it was just a germ of an idea that they'd taken. But actually, if you look up the episodes on Wikipedia... It's beat it's, by beat. It's beat by beat, yeah. Okay, then can I actually say... <sighs> because I felt that that sort of little stall in the middle was not anything, for example, that I've seen reflected in Catastrophe or Pulling, for example. Oh, so you're blaming the Flemish. I think it dragged her down. <laughs> but it was still very good. So yeah, people... It was so watchable. Yeah, we, we'd put our stamp on Bad Sisters. Yeah. I feel like everyone's watched it at this point. And it just got a bunch of Emmy nominations. Not that that means anything. Holly continues, something that put the poison in me. I'm not entirely sure if this is what you meant by the question. I do absolutely adore the show. Uh, but after watching the final episode of Flowers, I thought that I might never feel joy again. Flowers? So Flowers, can you remember the actor's name? That guy, that guy, that guy? Will Sharp. So if you got obsessed with the White Lotus season two, Will Sharp was the incredibly hot one who's with Aubrey Plaza at the hotel, Aubrey Plaza's husband. That guy created this other show, Flowers, and it is a fantastic piece of TV. Olivia Coleman is in it. And Julian Barrett. Yes, and Will Sharp. And it is beautiful and a bit weird and sad and wonderful. But I put the poison on Holly. But thanks for reminding us about that show because people should watch that shit. This next email is from Rosa. My tip of television delight is Reservation Dogs. We had a couple other people tell us about this. Reservation Dogs, about a bunch of kids on a res being shit faces, saving up money to go on a road trip and process the death of their friend. Watch it immediately. It is funny, heartwarming. The third and last season is starting soon. Huh. That's so interesting. I I, I feel that it went across my radar and I just instantly um, discounted it because of the title. Oh, I discounted it because I tend not to like chill, like kids, like kids. <laughs> but I do like the idea of being in that part of America. I've never watched a show about that before. I'm always trying to just learn more about other cultures. <laughs> so I, I am starting, a couple of people are making me think maybe I w- we wouldn't hate it. Mm. Anyways, great job on the new show format. Thanks, girl. We'll be sticking with you like a nice wet fart to stay on the theme of the last episode. Signed, a popped betrayal cherry from watching the worst betrayal in TV history. This bitch is trying to give herself a nickname. Not (laughs) happening. My admin couldn't handle it. You are Rosa. But I love you, and I thought this was beautifully written. Bye-bye. Isn't she alluding to a succession thing there? You sure it wasn't her pre-existing nickname? Oh, maybe. I'm so sorry. I love you. (laughs) This comes from Felicia Hughes on the subject of red lines. I have to want to be part of the world of a show to make me want to watch it. Example being, I can't watch Orange is the New Black, although my husband loved it. Took me a while to surrender to Breaking Bad for the same reason. She didn't want to be in New Mexico with like Jesse and his drugs. I have to say, it took me a while to give Breaking Bad a go because I don't like to be in an environment that is too arid. You don't like to be in an environment that's too arid? No. Well, you're not going to like reservation dogs. How do you know? Do you have an awareness of any reservations that are um, in the Pacific Northwest or in uh, Maine? I just assumed that some of them were in verdant. I don't think reservations are in verdant land. I'm not saying I'll never watch anything in an arid environment, but it takes a lot for me to... I love an arid environment. Are you joking? I look amazing in an arid environment. It's a whole thing. People have commented on it. Mm. New Orleans versus New Mexico. Go. New Mexico. Well, that's the arid one. Yeah, but that was very specific, humid versus arid. So you don't like humid. You don't like arid. You don't, <laughs> like, I don't. Well, this is crazy, and I didn't know you felt this way, and I love an arid environment. And then we also hear from Yael, who writes, Dear FNN, I'd like to thank Sarah, you're welcome, Yael, for addressing it just like that and solving its many issues. It was a complete joy. I really felt I resonated with people just another day. Just another day living my life resonating with everybody. Um, I do it all the time. Um, someone was like, you should listen 
to the end, just like that podcast that that is uh, Michael Patrick King and some of the writers. So I did, and it made me hate them so much. I I couldn't get enough of it, but I just hated them. And then when I watched this week's episode of And Just Like That, I thought it was the worst yet they've had. There have been redeemable or comedic moments in episodes one, two, and three. And episode four was just fucking inane bullshit. Like, there wasn't a flicker of, old friend, why? And I wondered if other people thought that way. Or if I'm just, like, bringing fresh hatred to the show because I thought they all came off so badly. Yours in dreadful yet compelling TV, The Wicked Witch of My Brownstone. No more nicknames! I can't handle it! (laughs) Or give yourself a nickname, but always write in. You have to pick your own nickname and you have to always write write it. I don't want a master list. You're not keeping a spreadsheet. Mm -mm. And finally, this comes from David Brewweiler, who says, Dear Firecrutch and Normcore, I am old enough that I watched the Sonny and Cher show on live TV when I was nine years old. In their onstage patter, Cher would be pretty mean to Sonny, which made me feel badly for him. The show ended in 1974 when they got divorced, making me think, no wonder, after all those mean comments. As an adult, I learned that Sonny was the dominant force in the relationship and he was a hard taskmaster driving Cher to achieve success for the couple. In your podcast, I get a familiar vibe where I worry that Normcore is suffering some verbal and emotional abuse. Now I'm wondering if it's possible that in reality, he is the dominant figure in your relationship and that Firecrutch might be trapped in an emotionally abusive relationship. Mm. What was that? Hmm. It's interesting. I feel like you were signalling to him. Help me. (laughs) Help me. I think he's he's read a lot of interesting things into our relationship. Like when people think that I'm mean to you, it's like shocking to me. Because I feel like I'm just joshing you. It's a classic dynamic. I think you're less like Cher on the Sonny and Cher show, though, and more like Cher as the grandmother in Mamma Mia 2. <laughs> that might be right. <laughs> anyway, I hope that we have more years of happy quote-unquote marriage in front of us. Thank you if you sent an email to our fledgling podcast. Yeah, it means so much. Please give us more. Please give us more. Please give us more. Some of the things that we would like from you are TV tropes that need a moratorium. Mm-hmm. Are there any kids' TV shows that wouldn't be weird for an adult to watch alone? Yeah. What put the poison in you? What are your TV red lines? Yeah. And what should we be watching? Is there anything that we haven't given enough of a chance to? Convince me. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Thanks once again to Ed Solomon. He likes to watch Columbo. How interesting. I loved Columbo when I was a kid. I don't think I've ever seen an episode. I'd also like to watch Barry on HBO and What We Do in the Shadows, which is on FX in the States and Disney Plus here now, I think. Work that ABC. brain, darling. Yeah. That was good. Um, Sarah liked to watch The Bear. The new series is on Disney Plus. And Louis Capaldi, How I'm Feeling Now on Netflix. I like to watch Bluey on Disney Plus and I didn't really like to watch Quantum Leap which is on Paramount Plus unlike Girls Forever despite what I was saying before which it turned out it was on Peacock that's where we watched that but it's moved over to Netflix now anyway everyone should watch that and Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland is on BBC iPlayer and I think PBS in the States and Amazon Prime a few other places that's really what you should watch but it's hard well hey I thank you for coming to my party <laughs> Thank you for coming to my pizza party. Where is this coming from? My friend Georgia, who's Italian. I have her on my brain for a particular reason. And what, you do a stereotypical Italian voice too, huh, do you? I do have a problem sometimes of doing accents back to people, which has gotten me into trouble at different points. Uh, my little bambino, so thank you for coming to my pizza party. Hey, uh, enjoy. Oh, is there a heat wave in Italy right now? People... The planet is burning, you guys. I was just thinking about Italy in a funny way. Now I'm thinking about the heat wave. The planet is dying. You might be dead by next week. Come on. What? you got to leave them wanting more. Well, live life to the fullest. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, really what I meant to say is live life to the fullest. But think about, you know, what you're doing to help. While the planet burns, what can you do? Can you not give them a nice affirmation? Look in the mirror and go, I approach... 
every moment from a place of play. Bambino, bambino, bambino. We love you for listening. Keep doing it. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.